You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Welcome to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. I'm your co-host, Brandon Ware, here with my lovely other half, Dr. Jess. How you doing? I'm hanging in there. Yeah, seems to be the trend lately. Yeah, I'm doing pretty well, actually. So today we're going to be talking about lasting longer in bed. Seems like it's the topic on many men's mind. Yeah, and and so many women as well, people of all genders. And I hear from women who have sex with men, I hear a split. Some of them complain that their partners don't last long enough, and some of them complain that their partners last too long. So we're going to talk about that as well. It's very interesting to hear because... I remember growing up that the thing was you need to last long. It's never, you know, focus on her pleasure or your partner's pleasure. Hang on, you learned that growing up? No, no, no. I was saying I didn't, if I said that, I meant the opposite. (laughs) It was like we didn't learn about that. We learned about the idea that you should just last a long time because that was what you needed to do. And that's what you saw in porn. You saw these videos where people lasted 45 minutes. Hang on, you watched porn for 45 minutes? No, I didn't. I knew that there were 45 minute long porn videos. <laughs> but you were done done with them faster. Right, than only, that. Listen, I watched the squigglies late at night. You needed like 30 seconds and a half a boob for me anyways. <laughs> so was there pressure when you think about early on, you know, in your in your sex life? Was there pressure to last long? Were you embarrassed if you didn't? Did you talk about it? Certainly did not talk about it with my first few partners. I remember the first time that I ever had sex that I was embarrassed after because it was not my most memorable performance. And, um, you know, open book Brandon here disclosing all the details. I remember feeling embarrassed after because it wasn't what I had seen on the videos, or at least my performance wasn't. So I, I Why remember- Why do you say performance? Well, I What mean, do you mean by that? Performance, I just mean how long I lasted and, okay. and what I did. And, and no, I, I mean, listen, it was a short initial experience. And I remember think, feeling embarrassed being around my partner's friends after her, because I thought to myself, if she had said something to them, wow, that was not at all what it was supposed to be now. I remember, and I'm not just saying this to redeem myself, but I remember the second time taking forever. And maybe it was because I was super nervous the second time that it was going to be too quick. And I got into my own head and this idea that (laughs) I couldn't, you know, thinking of your grandpa or like a a bunch of bunnies or anything else to distract yourself. But I remember the second time it was like, well, this just took forever. So it was this weird both ends of the spectrum the first couple times that I had had sex, which was not what I expected. Well, and we have really unrealistic expectations in terms of how long sex lasts. And that is really tied, number one, to the fact that we have very specific and limiting definitions of what sex is. I know that, you know, you're having sex with women. And we have this notion that sex is when the penis goes in the vagina until when the penis pulls out. When in fact, of course, and I know everybody here knows this, sex means different things to different people. Uh, One person's foreplay is another person's main event. One person's Tuesday afternoon is another person's, you know, special anniversary celebration. And so sex is anything you do for erotic pleasure, anything at all. And so I think we need to get away from that notion that it's when the penis goes inside the vagina. Now, of course, I know people 
are interested in data. And there is data on how long sex in terms of P in V, penis and vagina intercourse, lasts. And, you know, if you look into all the studies, there's there's quite a range. You'll see somewhere it says it lasts a little bit longer, a little bit shorter. It's sort of, if, if I had to sum it up, it's in the five-minute range. You know, it could be three, four, five, six, seven minutes. I, I saw a study or some research around sex therapists saying that it should last around seven minutes. I would say that's on the very high end. I would also say what's so important is, like, why are we timing ourselves. I have no clue how long our sex lasts because other than like if I'm late for something and I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of looking after, I'm like, oh, okay, now I'm really late or now I'm not, as, I'm not as late as I thought I was. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I don't feel like I ever time it. I would say that the duration of sex for me is really especially intercourse. I mean, I could, you know, do without intercourse. Uh, It's really... (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying there's lots of other things that feel good, feel good. I don't think the duration is a top five factor or even a top 10 factor in whether or not sex is really good for me. Growing up though, the the idea of foreplay and sex outside of P and V activity, to me, it did not exist. It was like sex is when you insert the P and the V, and then the man or the the gentleman finishes. So, well, the ex- good news is like that's such a we know that that's a ridiculous definition because many sexual experiences don't even have a penis there. Oh, I think right? my first few sexual experiences didn't involve the V at all. Right. Yeah, and I do think that we think of sex always about a penis and a penis lasting. And I mean, so many of us aren't even having sex with penises. You can be having sex two vulvas, three vulvas, a strap-on, a toy, a vibrator, a hand, a a soft, furry mitten. (laughs) It really can be anything. So I I think that so many of the problems that exist around sex would be eradicated if we broadened our definition of sex. And we're going to talk today. I, I always receive questions from you, and I'm not always fully equipped to answer them. So we are bringing an expert in to help out with some of these questions specifically uh, that are related to urology. Joining us to answer all of your questions and some of ours is Dr. Jed Kamenetsky, a board-certified urologist specializing in men's health, sexual wellness, and low testosterone. Thanks for being here. Hey, great to be here. Now, you specialize in low testosterone. Can you tell me how important is testosterone to sexual functioning and how does it shift or decline over a lifetime? Yeah, so testosterone naturally decreases as a man gets older. So men reach their peak in testosterone in the 30s. It it decreases at varying rates in in different men. there are different factors that can contribute to that. But testosterone is really the fuel that makes a man a man. So it gives a man energy, focus, muscle mass, libido, erections. So men with low testosterone generally have more body fat, uh, less muscle mass, made difficulty focusing, uh, less energy. Does the same apply to women in terms of, you know, focus and libido and energy? Well, that's a really good question. And <clears throat> women do have testosterone. Oh, yeah. And as their testosterone, at menopause, their testosterone goes down very low. Um, women have a fraction of the uh, testosterone that a man has. So a normal testosterone for, let's say, a 40-year-old man 
would be in the 400s. A woman might be 40 or 50. But yes, if a woman has low testosterone, it'll affect her libido, affect her sexual pleasure. And in fact, we sometimes treat women with very low doses of testosterone to improve their uh, sexual arousal and libido. How do you test for testosterone levels? Well, it's a blood test. Okay. In men, to diagnose low testosterone, you need to have two consecutive, over the course of a week, low testosterones um, in the morning. So men have their highest testosterone in the morning. So that's why men wake up with erections and some a lot of men are their horniest in the morning because your testosterone is highest. So what the for me to diagnose somebody with low testosterone, we have to have two criteria. <clears throat> we have to have a low level, and that's a little arbitrary what the level is. The uh, guidelines in the Endocrine Society and the American Neurologic Association define it as less than 300 nanograms per deciliter, but you also need to have symptoms. So what are the symptoms? Low energy, low libido, poor erections, uh, lack of muscle mass. So if you have one without the other, generally we won't treat you. And and how do you differentiate between lifestyle factors that lead to some of these symptoms versus the the hormone the hormone levels. So for example, you know, you can have low energy but maybe you're dealing with a depressed mood or you can have low libido but maybe you're dealing with a lot of stress in your life. Is that where the T test comes in um, to to show that you have both of the both sides of the coin? Yeah, I mean, you're 100% right. Uh, low testosterone and depression can present with the very same symptoms. So it can be hard to uh, diagnose. I, I've seen countless patients who come to me and they've been on antidepressants and nobody checked their testosterone. And lo and behold, their testosterone is very low. We treat them with tea and they're no longer depressed. But uh, lifestyle things are really important. So testosterone gets broken down into estrogen and fat. So more fat, less testosterone, more estrogen, So we, which is not good for men. So we always, any patient that I start on testosterone, we talk about diet, healthy diet, we talk about weight loss, we talk about exercise. So it's gotta be a more holistic approach, a more uh, lifestyle focused approach, rather than just here's a prescription and this is the fountain of youth. Right. And what does that mean that testosterone gets broken down into estrogen and fat? So there's something called aromatase. So aromatase converts testosterone to estrogen. In fact, in some men, we use uh, uh, aromatase inhibitors, uh, something, for example, anastrozole that blocks the conversion of testosterone to estrogen uh, because guys who are have a lot of body fat just break down the testosterone. So even if I'm treating a man with testosterone, his levels don't get to where we want them to be. So we might add something like an astrazole to, to block that chemical. All right. And one last question about T levels. How, what does treatment look like? Is it a pill? Is it an injection? Is it self-administered? Is it something you administer? All of the above. So oh, okay. <clears throat> there's just recently, we were in fact, um, uh, 
uh, very involved in Manhattan Medical Research in the development of every drug that's on the market for low testosterone. Uh, there was just an, the first oral, believe it or not, the first oral was approved. Um, and it's taken twice a day. It's taken um, uh, with fatty foods. So you have to take it with a meal. Most testosterones are not oral. Um, and historically, they've been either gels that you rub on. You have to worry about rubbing against your partner because you don't want to transfer the testosterone. Uh. There's injections or pellets. We put in a lot of long-acting pellets that you put in every three to four months. Where do you put it in? You put it in the like the upper glute area in the back where there's a little bit of uh, fat. In fact, we've done that in women as well. In men, we might put 10 to 12 pellets every three to four months. In woman, women, we put in one pellet uh, maybe every four to six months. So you you do that. It's so when you said pellets, okay, this is maybe my ignorance. I was thinking you put it in the penis. <laughs> Into the urethra. No, this has nothing to do with the the penis. This is we're giving a long acting, like a long acting deep depot of testosterone. Oh, okay, okay. All right. Now, I know you also work with with a brand that some of my clients are big fans of, and that's Promescence. So this is a Climax Control Spray. So I do want to ask you about that. But before we get there, I'd like to fire through a few questions from listeners. And the first one is actually the opposite of wanting to last longer. This is somebody who says it's difficult for them to ejaculate. About 75% of the time, the sex seems to last too long. And he and his wife get frustrated. He said he hasn't always had this issue, but it started about five years ago. And he wants to know, what, what can I do to not make it last so long? Yeah, so that's a, uh, a very difficult problem. And it could be very frustrating because it's the opposite of what people expect. So anything <laughs> that's opposite the norm is very frustrating. So classically there's this pleasure gap orgasm gap where men come 98% of the time in sex and women you know with without clitoral stimulation much less so so anything so that creates frustration so when I see these patients first thing I want to do is rule out low testosterone I want to rule out a neurologic problem but you have to talk to the patient so what I want to know is like what happened? So sometimes they're trying to have a kid and the guy doesn't want to have a kid. So he has difficulty climaxing. Sometimes it's, um, you know, the guy, the guys, you know, from watching porn, from whatever has this image that you're supposed to last for 30 minutes, 60 minutes. And he tries so hard to do that. He creates these new neural pathways and he, lo and behold, he can't come. If it's somebody who's had this problem their whole life, I talk about how, how do they make themselves come? So this is uh-huh. a very similar conversation I have with women, more commonly, who have difficulty orgasm. It's how do you make yourself come? Uh-huh. Is it, do you fantasize? Well, do you fantasize during sex? If you don't, maybe you should. Do you masturbate with pornography? Well, do you watch pornography during sex? Well, maybe you should watch pornography during sex or stop watching pornography when you masturbate. We have to try to close the gap 
between how you climax by yourself and how you climax with your partner and to try to because you you create this muscle memory in mm-hmm. how you achieve pleasure and if yeah, none of that works mm-hmm. then we there's medicine so there's uh, something called cabergoline uh, there's something uh, called oxytocin that we we give but i try not, i i always try to work with my uh, sex therapy colleagues like yourself in these sorts of cases because there's a big psychological overlay. But I think the important thing is trying to understand what happened. Why did this occur? Right. And I really appreciate the bridging the gap between how you masturbate and how you have sex with a partner because you're right. We I think for so many people with penises, the goal is last as long as I can, stay hard as long as I can. And that can be a good thing at times. But also, you know, some of us, have, we have things to do, people to see, places to go. Well, maybe no places to go right now. But uh, certainly if you're doing things differently, like, for example, maybe you need a little bit more friction at the base. And so maybe a penis ring would help. Maybe you just need a little more stimulation and so it's it's like a vibrating penis ring Brandon likes something called the we vibe pivot or maybe you need more friction where you just reach down and give a hand right I've heard from so many men who say they just need to hold on to the base of the penis a little and that brings them to orgasm but you're right we get into this mindset that the way we see it in porn is the way we must do it when in fact you just need to do what works for you right yeah and some women might want to have sex for 30 minutes and a lot of women don't want to have sex for 30 minutes. So I think you ha- it has to be matched. The desires of the couple has to be matched. Right, absolutely. And and I think that's, you know, regardless of gender, because sometimes you're going to want, you, you have one partner who wants it for longer, one partner who wants it for less time. And again, if, if you've got a penis... You're kind, you kind of are trained to believe that your penis is the magic stick, like this is how I pleasure you, when in fact you've got hands and fingers and tongues and lips and faces and toys, well, maybe only one face, but <laughs> you've got all of these other uh, you know, options. So the opposite of that, of course, is that there are many people who want to last longer in bed. And uh, there are products on the market like Promescent. And I'm sure, based on everything you've said so far, you also probably take a more holistic approach. So where do you begin if people, not necessarily, they may not be dealing with premature ejaculation, you know, it may not be super quick, but they just like to experiment sometimes with lasting longer in bed. Yeah, so um, this is obviously a a more common problem. Um, You may not realize this is, Premature ejaculation is the most common sexual dysfunction or sexual dis- uh, complaint in men, uh, more than erectile dysfunction. Um, <clears throat> so I think it's first, uh, it's important to frame the topic so people understand what's the average time people have sex? Well, it's five to six minutes. So that's probably less than people think. Uh, the definition of uh, premature ejaculation has changed. We do a lot of clinical research, and I've done research in countless drugs, oral drugs, injectables, uh, creams. It used to be to get into a clinical trial for premature ejaculation was less than two minutes. Now it's less than one minute. So that's pretty severe. But we're not talking about clinical trials now. We're talking about real life. So again, I talk to patients about what their expectations are. I talk to them a lot about 
how they masturbate. How did they learn to masturbate? So if you, most guys, when they masturbate, and particularly when they're young and learn to masturbate, they're trying to get it done as quickly as they can, right? They just want to come and they don't want to get caught by their parents mm-hmm. or their girlfriend. So again, you create these neural pathways and this muscle memory that that's how they finish. Um, sometimes, um, you know, we'll talk about how they have sex. So if a guy is just, you know, pounding away up and down, in and out, that's very similar to the way most people masturbate. So I, I recommend they change positions, maybe more of a penetrate and a rocking movement. Uh, so it might that gives more stimulation to the clitoris and less to the penis. But if we, if we want to do something medically or uh, prescribe something to help them, some aid, the first line of therapy is um, a topical. And you mes- mentioned promescent. That's my uh, go-to topical. I've done some research, and we're doing some studies at Manhattan Medical Research right now on new topicals, but I haven't found anything that's better than promescent. It's, it's an aerosolized spray. So a man sprays it on his penis. He rubs it on. It works very quickly, and it gets absorbed very quickly. Now, why, why is this important? Because we don't want to numb the vagina. That'll defeat the purpose. So I found uh, this is very quickly absorbed. We don't see any num- numbness of the vagina. And it doesn't make, the, the man can control the, the dose. <clears throat> so he can do two sprays, three sprays, depending on how severe his PE is. So it's easy to get. People get it online at promescent.com. And it's, uh, you know, patients are happy. It's easy. It's happy. They're happy. Um, easy to use. If that doesn't work, <clears throat> there's uh, sometimes we use the antidepressant medicines. Right. Like the SSRI inhibitors. Or, yeah. Uh, so with regard to numbing, so it it doesn't numb. You mentioned the vagina. I, I assume the same applies whether you're putting it in, in an anus or a mouth or a hand, obviously, because our listeners are having sex with all sorts of bodies. Um, does it numb the penis at all? Well, sure, it does numb the penis, but it doesn't numb it to the point that you can't feel. Uh, so okay. that's, yeah. So you don't want that. You don't want to feel like you're having sex with an inanimate object. So you can feel, you still climax, you still have pleasure, but it desensitizes. So these guys are have oversensitivity. So we want to desensitize it. And the beauty is because the man can control it, it... Um, they can, you know, moderate the, the dose. And where do you spray it? Are you spraying it like on the underside or near the, sh- you know, the base of the shaft? Where do you spray? Uh, spray it on the glands, which is the head of the penis, but then rub it, you know, down the shaft. Okay. And what is it about, I guess, the technology that doesn't um, that doesn't transfer to the partner? Is it because it's quick absorbing? Right. So it, it get it's. Uh, gets absorbed very quickly. But what I what I recommend to patients, you don't spray it on and then jump right into intercourse or oral sex. You spray it and, you know, foreplay is important. So these guys have problems 
with rapid ejaculation. Usually it's rapid after penetration. So you uh -huh. want to preheat the oven uh, before you um, you put in the, uh, the steak. Right. And well, that's interesting because uh, so often I think in the hetero context or just, you know, in the binary context that women need more time to warm up and want more foreplay. But regardless of gender, and of course, all the studies, most of the research is binary, men also desire foreplay and the buildup and the excitement. And when we've trained ourselves from a young age, especially young men, to masturbate as quickly as you can to not get caught, you you lose all of that. You lose all that pleasure. You miss out on the capacity to enjoy your entire body. And I know like Brandon, for example, you're better at slowing down than I am. Well, I mean, for me, slowing down, I, I know that I need to be relaxed. So you made reference to, uh, you know, spraying promescent and then taking the time to warm up, warm up the oven. And for me, that's what I need anyway. So if I were to, to use, I'd need to ensure that I engage in that foreplay. And you're right. I mean, thinking back onto my adolescence, the process of masturbating was really get it done as quickly as you can because there was either shame or fear of being caught. So definitely have that idea that, you know, get it done. Like just rush through the process of reaching climax. Well, and I, I think when we think of sexual shame, many of the courses and books and programs that are directed around, you know, relinquishing sexual shame are very focused at women. And we forget that, you know, people of all genders are raised with sexual shame, right? You are judged for masturbating, even though it is certainly more openly talked about, I think, with guys. And I, I think that the just eliminating some of that fear of understanding and, you know, that holistic approach that you had made reference to initially where you know, before we start assuming that there's a physiological problem, like let's dive into some of the psychological elements. And again, for me, I've learned over the years that although I have had moments where I've been concerned about either performing or perhaps not being able to climax or whatever the case is, a big part of it for me was getting into my own head. I was very much in the process this snowballing effect where it's like, oh my God, is this going to happen? Is this not going to happen? Am I going to, am I going to finish? Am I not going to finish? And it's like, once I got into my head, it, it either, <laughs> it means that maybe it didn't happen or maybe I couldn't, you know, finish or whatever the case was. So uh, again, for me, get in, don't get into my head, take a minute, think about what are the elements that I'm considering that are actually penetrating and making, penetrating my mind <laughs> and making me not finish. Most sex happens between your ears, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, so you definitely. said get into your head. So that is so, you know, on point because what happens is guys who have problems with premature ejaculation or guys who have even to a lesser degree delayed orgasm, they get anxious. So what happens when you get anxious? Well, one, it gets worse. And two, you develop erectile dysfunction. Mm -hmm. So what what happens physiologically with anxiety? It's the sympathetic nervous system gets active. So what happens when the sympathetic nervous system's active? You get a contraction of blood vessels. So you guys are up in Canada, you know cold weather. <laughs> if you go out in the cold, your fingers get numb. Why? 
because the sympathetic nervous system is trying to keep blood in the center of the body, in the core, and it contracts the blood vessels to the periphery. Well, your penis and your clitoris are periphery. So the blood flow to the penis and the clitoris get uh, active when the, you're nervous and there's less blood flow. So what you were saying about when you get in your head and am I going to finish or am I not going to finish? That's so common with women, isn't it? That's like when they're trying to have sex, they think, am I going to come? I'm not going to come. I'm getting close. Is he getting, uh, you know, tired? He wants, he's going down on me for, you know, 20 minutes and you can't come. But with a vibrator and by yourself, you can come in a minute. So the head is so important. Yeah, that that's a such an important piece that working on on mindfulness to reduce anxiety uh, can be so effective. I, I do. I should mention to folks that I have a course on happiercouples.com on lasting longer in bed, and it's really focused on mindful practices. So the opposite of tuning out, the opposite of you know trying to think about your grandma or baseball, um, really tuning into the sensations. And understanding those sensations to reduce anxiety, as you said, because you don't want that sympathetic nervous system to take over. And so you've mentioned a few times uh, neuropathways, so creating these neuropathways that uh, force you to finish more quickly or force you to have a result that you're not looking for. So how do we, I don't know if the word is retrain or rebuild neuropathways in our favor? Yeah, you just have to do it. So you have to figure out like, you know, what, why you, why am I doing this? What was the cause of this? What initiated this and how can I change? So if it's, uh, you know, I'm masturbating with porn and now I'm having sex with my girlfriend and I don't look like a porn star and she doesn't look like a porn star and she doesn't act like a porn star and now I can't get it up. Well, <laughs> Um, you either have to, you know, figure, watch different porn or stop watching porn or watch, you know, fi figure this out, what's going on. And right. also... Or watch it together. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm, a, I'm, t I'm talking very holistically because I think a lot of sex is, happens in the brain, but I'm also a surgeon. I'm also a medical doctor, a urologist. So I do use medications. Uh, mm -hmm. So if some, I use uh, a lot of the PD-5 inhibitors, Viagra, Levitra, Cialis, I think, you know, these are wonderful drugs. They've changed the way we, um, we treat sex, sexual problems, view sexual problems. They've sort of brought sexual problems into the mainstream. So I, we use a lot of that. I like in guys who have anxiety or trying to retrain them, low-dose daily Cialis. So they don't have to think about it. It doesn't, not stressful. I have to take a pill to have sex. Um, we try to enforce a healthy lifestyle. So uh, Promescent, actually, going back to them, they have this fabulous supplement we've been using called Vitaflux. Oh, what's that? It's uh, It has these amino acids, uh, L-arginine, uh, carnitine, magnesium, zinc, in, in pretty high levels. And it improves vascular health. So what is, you know, sex is a, it's all, 98% is in the brain. We've established that. The other 2% is plumbing. It's hydraulics. You need healthy blood flow. You need blood flow to the penis. You need blood flow to the clitoris. So 
you know, a healthy body and a healthy, healthy mind, and you're going to have uh, happier sex. Well, it's interesting you bring up L-arginine and, and blood flow uh, and that, you know, pr- that increases vasodilation. And have you heard of a product called Wave? This is a, a new product that just came across my radar, came onto my radar, and it's it's for the clitoris, or I, I guess as the Americans say, the clitoris, <laughs> depending on where you're from. And it's it's topical and also very fast absorbing uh, and it its active ingredient is also L-arginine. So it's interesting and a good reminder, of course, that the, the clitoris and the penis have so much in common. So much in common. Yeah. So in fact, uh, many years ago, I developed one of the first topical products uh, for uh, female arousal called Dream Cream. And we had a ton of publicity and it was on it was on Howard Stern and every media broadcast. And we, I sort of moved in another direction because we were building up our clinical research. Uh, and I, I felt the two were in conflict, but we had a lot of fun with Dream Cream and helped a lot of women. So, And now you're on the opposite of Howard Stern. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, you know, the thing is, you just want to get out there. Of course. Both of us in, you know, healthcare and uh, focused on sexual health. There's so much misinformation out there. There's so Mm -hmm. many people who are frustrated. And so Mm -hmm. any way we can spread the word. Oh, I'm with you. Oh, yeah, no, no, no arguments there. Now, before I let you go, I have one kind of left turn question from from a listener. He asks, why does it feel like one of my balls goes up into my body as I get close to orgasm? It sort of feels like I have to pull it back down. What is this sensation? Yeah, that's very common. That's called a retractile testicle. And all men have uh, something called a cremasteric reflex. So it's it, there are muscles around the spermatocord, the cord that the te- hold the testicles from, um, and there's blood vessels and the vas deferens that carries the sperm, but there's the cremasteric muscles. And in young men, particularly, that muscle can be active and there's a, a list, it's a cremasteric reflex where the testicle gets pulled up. Um, usually as men get older, that uh, reflex uh, diminishes. It's absolutely nothing to worry about. It, it's very, very common. It's a common pl- uh, concern or complaint that we get. Thank you. All right. Brendan, is that helpful to you? Very helpful. Uh, this has answered many questions for me. <laughs> uh, well, retractile testicles almost sounds like a transformer or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. Really appreciate this. Uh, Dr. Jed Kamenetsky, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it today. That was great. Uh, thank and, you. And people can learn more about your work at universityurology.com. So I encourage people to follow along. I see you just joined Instagram. So make sure you also follow on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, we have at Dr. Jed Kamenetsky. We had a Instagram account, but this one is going to be just focused on information and sexual health. Okay, awesome. Well, we'll be following along. Thanks again for joining us. Okay, thank you. And thank you for listening. And a big thanks to our sponsor this month, Let's Get Checked at Home. Tests that you complete in the comfort of your home and then you check your results confidentially online. They test everything, all the STIs as well as cortisol, cholesterol, kidney, hormone levels, testosterone, prostate, PSA, colon, liver, thyroid, all of these, again, from the comfort of your home. Let's Get Checked.com. Please use code Dr. Jess at checkout so that they know that I sent you. Folks, wherever you're at, have a great week. We'll be back next week and every week with a brand new episode. 
You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life. Improve your life. 